0: So the title of today's message is Rebuild the Walls, and it comes from the book of Nehemiah. So maybe you want to turn there. So long. We will not be going anywhere else except Nehemiah. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of a Bible study today, but it's going to be a bit of a prophetic Bible study because I believe there's a message in the book of Nehemiah in terms of what God is saying to His church today and in terms of where he wants us to go, where his leading is, and uh, I regard it as a real privilege when I'm able to share the word at this time of year where there's a real sense of new beginnings. But before we get started, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that you have laid it clearly on my heart. I know, Lord, that it's been confirmed over and over again that this is the year that you want us to rebuild the walls. I pray, Lord, that in this message and in the book of Nehemiah that we would learn what this call is all about and how you want us to act as your people and as a collective, as the body of Christ. Lord, I submit this message back to you. You laid it on my heart, Lord, but may these words be your words today. I pray that the message will be clear and that you will anoint me this day to share with clarity under the anointing of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So rebuilding the walls, I believe, is God-timed. It is specific to this season I believe, as I've mentioned, that it is a prophetic word, and it's a call to action by God to the body of Christ to rebuild the walls. And today's message, we're going to get into the meaning of this, what our role is, how we are to participate, and how God will bring it all about. But what I do want to say is that the Lord has prepared us for such a time as this. And I encourage you, if you just log on to the church website and look at the sermon titles alone for 2016, you will see a wonderful tapestry of preparation regarding, in particular, kingdom influence that has brought us to the place where we are today, where the call is, let's rebuild the walls. We're going to read quite a long portion of Scripture, and if you don't have a Bible here, whether in a hard copy or uh, on your phone, maybe if you do and the person next to you hasn't got one, just, you know, offer so that they can read together. It's quite a portion of Scripture, but I believe we need to get into it to understand where God is taking us. So we started, uh, we will be going from Nehemiah 1 to chapter 6. If you've got somebody who's not here, pray for them, but tell them to switch your lamb roast off because you're going to be here all day. We're going to do the whole book. Just kidding. We're going to focus our attention on the first uh, 67 chapters, and, um, but I want to read chapter one and a small portion of chapter two. So read with me. The, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in, and this is key, great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Verse 4 So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenants and mercy with those who love you, and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Verse eight, key. Let's listen carefully. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there. And bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by the great power, by your great power, and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cup-bearer. Chapter two, and it came to pass in, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild the walls. Amen. So, just to give you a little bit of context, God had a relatively simple covenant with you, with His people, and it was clearly stated in verse eight and nine: If you are unfaithful to My commands, I will scatter you among the nations. If you keep My commands, I will gather you into a dwelling for My name. That is key. What we see is that God stepped up the punishment for Israel's sin. We need to understand that God has never broken covenant with his people. His people have broken covenant with him. And that's what happened here. And so God stepped up the punishment for Israel's sin and disobedience. There was loss of property under the Philistines. Then there was, and listen to this, sounds very familiar to today's day, drought, famine, famine. And shortage of food. And the worst was the eventual loss of the promised land. And with the loss of the promised land came two exiles, one under Assyria and the second under Babylon. And it's the second one where we find the words of Nehemiah. Now, the book of Nehemiah can basically be broken up into four parts. First of all, the return to Jerusalem, which is chapter 1 to 2. Then rebuilding the walls, which is chapter 3 to 7, where we will focus our attention. And it talks about renewal in verses, uh, chapters 8 to 10. And it speaks of reform in chapters 11 to 13. And the overall focus of the book of Nehemiah is rebuilding the state and reforming the people. Now, you cannot look at the book of Nehemiah without actually looking at the book of Ezra. For a very long time, the book of Ezra was Ezra 1 and Ezra 2, and Ezra 2 later became the book of Nehemiah. Now, why is it important that we understand the book of Ezra in the context of the book of Nehemiah? Well, the book of Ezra speaks about the rebuilding of the temple, and the book of Nehemiah speaks about the rebuilding of the wall. And I believe it is prophetically significant that we understand that whatever God wants to do in terms of rebuilding the wall, he will start at rebuilding the temple, which is a picture of the church. And that is where I believe we find ourselves today, that God has built up his body to the point where it is today, and that regardless of the news reports we hear, that there are buildings empty, And that we've got strange pastors who are are doing all kinds of motions and potions in terms of healing and, and strange theology. There was a pastor at one point who was preaching that there is no hell and therefore nobody can go to hell. We are a church who believes in the Bible and we believe that there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And the only access to heaven is through our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God wants to perform miracles in our day and age, but He requires no props because He has paid the ultimate price by giving His Son so that in Jesus' name, we can expect a miracle and that we can expect healing. So regardless of the news reports that we might see, I do believe that there are examples of a strong body of Christ today. I do believe it. If you just look there are many churches today who fear the Lord, who are alive to God, who lift up the name of Jesus in all his glory and splendor and put him first. And I believe that is the church that is ready to rebuild the walls today. So what does the wall represent? Because we don't have a wall that we can physically look at. Well, in its broken state, it represents broken covenant between God and his people because of his people's choices. God's people are scattered amongst the nations of the world. It's like God's people many times are just suffering to survive. And do you, Sometimes I get the sense that the body of Christ is just huddled in in a phase of preservation, where we don't want to rock the boat. It speaks of compromise, something which we see from time to time, sometimes more often than what we would like to see. That represents the broken wall. In its whole state, the wall represents a renewed covenant between God and his people. It speaks of restoration, Now this church is very familiar with restoration because God has done a wonderful work here in restoring the lives of many people. But I believe prophetically that there is a second wave of restoration that is sweeping over the body of Christ and is already in process to bring us to the place to rebuild the walls. The built wall represents a gathering together, a unity under him for his name's sake And it speaks of protection and security. And the rebuilt wall speaks about order, for our God is a God of order. I'm going to go through a few points regarding the book of Nehemiah. Some of them are related as questions, and we're going to answer those questions here today in terms of God's leading as his body. So point number one, God has called the church today to be like Nehemiah. He was the right man to rebuild the walls. And church, the body of Christ is the right lady to rebuild the walls. The body of Christ today, the church, the bride of Christ, is the right vehicle for God to use to rebuild the walls today. But if God has called us to be like Nehemiah, what kind of a man was he? And so we can learn from Scripture a few things about him. We can sense that he was a happy man, that he was a joyful man. It's in the book of Nehemiah that that wonderful Scripture in chapter 8 and verse 10 comes from, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. That came from Nehemiah. And it so upset the king to be sad, was so out of character that the king could only but notice. And that is when we see, as we read in chapter 2 and those first few verses, that the king was distressed because it was pure sorrow of heart that he perceived. So he was a happy man. He was a social and likable man. We can see in the scriptures that many people warmed towards him. He had an amazing ability to get people to work and to move forward. And that is what I believe the Lord is calling us as His body to do, is we will have an ability to get people to work and to move forward in Him. Key to Nehemiah's life is that he was a prayerful man. And throughout the book, whether in public or in private, it is clear to see that he always turned to God in prayer. He spoke naturally with God. If you read the portions of Scripture, sometimes you would wonder, how can you talk to God like that? But never with a disrespect. He had a boldness in the presence of God to enter into his presence. And I believe that he has that boldness, one, because he had a relationship with God that is clear, but secondly, because we see in chapter one that he put his sin, the sin of the nation, his family's sin, before God, and God forgave him. And so his relationship to God was one of openness and natural. He he had no fear to ask the Lord what he needed. He was also an extremely practical man. He was very well organized. He could put things together. He was certainly not so heavenly minded that he was no earthly good. He was very practical. He was also an emotional man, which sounds strange based on what I'm saying to you right now, but that's not a bad characteristic. He felt deeply. He was a principled man. He understood the law of God and he, it was the very foundation of his life. So what we see is that at times he encourages the people in the joy of the Lord. At times you would see that he could get very angry when things are not right. But overall, he reflects a wonderful balanced character, something that we can aspire to as individuals and as the body of Christ. So let's be like Nehemiah. Let's be prayerful. Let's be joyful and sorrowful when the need arises. Let us be tough and tender. We heard those words a little bit earlier. But let us also be sensitive always to God and his people. Point number two is we shall find supernatural favor to complete the task at hand. And we see that in chapter 2 again, verse 1 to 8. And then over and above, we see something in verse 9. So what happens is he approaches the king, or the king speaks out against uh, his sadness. And, and Nehemiah, there, there's a key portion there where just before he answers the king, he, he approaches God. And that's something which we can learn. I can picture him standing there before the king in fear and under his breath going, God, I need you right now. And that's what happened. And then he put his request before the king and the king gave him a letter so that he could travel from where he was all the way back to Jerusalem. The king gave him a letter so that he could get whatever materials he required to rebuild the walls, remembering that the king is not a man of his faith. He's under exile under this man. And so we then see in verse 9 something truly remarkable. And in verse 9, I want us to actually have a look at it because it sounds insignificant. But after he, he had traveled through the region and he got everything he needed, in verse 9 it says, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. It wasn't part of Nehemiah's initial request to the king. Yet the king gave him over and above what he asked for. So what can we learn from this? Well, God will use whatever means he chooses for us to succeed in our task. And it might just come from the strangest of places. It might not come from people who are part of our faith. But God will make a way because this is his call. And what he calls for, he pays for. And this is a perfect example of that. And what you need, you will get. Why? Because we go in his name. This is his call. So point number three is why do the walls need to be rebuilt? You see, I mentioned earlier, we don't have a wall that's in front of us that we can touch. So what does the wall mean to us today? And we see that in chapter 2 and verse 17, if you'll read with me. So just to set the context of this verse, so Nehemiah travels all the way to Jerusalem, and then in secret, he inspects the walls. He doesn't make a big thing about it, although I don't know how it couldn't have been a big thing, because he arrives there with the captains of the army and blessing of the king but anyway the the, the scripture talks about him going out on his own in secret and inspecting the walls and now he is speaking to to the Israeli people to the Jewish people and uh, these are the words and here is where we learn the reason to rebuild the walls verse 17 then I said to them you see the distress that we are in how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Why? And here is the reason, that we may no longer be a reproach. A reproach means to express one's disapproval or disappointment in their actions. A reproach is an accusation towards someone of something they have done. It speaks of censure, Or rebuke. And for a long time now, the body of Christ has suffered reproach under the hand of the evil world that we live in today. We suffer reproach. And for a long time, the church has lost her voice. She has lost her societal influence as a a moral compass that keeps the nations on track. And through this, she has lost the opportunity to be Jesus to a lost and dying world. That is the broken wall, uh, wall that the Lord wants us to tackle. So brothers and sisters, God is restoring our influence as the body of Christ at this time. Why? For His kingdom's sake. And we will be a voice of God's greatness and glory to the people of the world once again. And He is rebuilding the wall in our day and time, not sometime in the future. I believe it's Now. And He will use you and me, and we will shine His glory and His goodness, and we will be salt and light to a lost and dying world. Amen? Amen. So point number four, how are you and I to be involved in rebuilding the wall? Well, once again, we have the benefit of the scriptures in in Nehemiah to reference, and chapter three lists for us, and we're not going to read it because it's a long list of names, but everyone who was involved in the rebuilding of the wall is is listed here in in chapter three. And, And what we clearly see is that they came from all over. It was part of the restoring of the covenant between God and his people that I will gather you. They put their sins down before him, he forgave them, and then he started to gather them. So they came from all over to rebuild the walls. And regardless of their skill, Everybody was involved in the task. The high priest, the priests, the farmers, the sons and the daughters, the worshippers were involved in rebuilding the wall, goldsmiths. In one translation, I even read that there was a perfumer involved in the rebuilding of the wall. Now, I will honestly tell you, I read it in one translation I couldn't find it again. So I did pick up on that though. And then very interestingly, they rebuilt the walls in their own districts and in front of their own homes. So if you can picture that you living here and the broken wall is there, let's say it's the perimeter of your garden. That would be the section that you would focus on rebuilding. So what can we learn from all of this? Well, God wants to do the work of the kingdom right where you are based. There is no need for you to be uprooted and moved unless God clearly tells you that he wants you in a specific place. But God wants to use you to rebuild the wall right where you are. He will use your talents. No matter how insignificant you may see that they are, he will use you. Whether you're a driver, a cleaner, a salesperson, a sales lady, whether you're a a doctor or a lawyer, an attorney. It doesn't matter. God wants to use your talents. No matter how insignificant you may feel, he will empower you and he will use your talents. And the other thing we see is that he wants you to bear fruit right where you're at. Right where you're at. You don't uproot the tree and move it because inevitably it will die. But God will want you to bear fruit right where you are at. And people will be attracted to the light of Jesus that burns in your heart. And people will be attracted by the fruit you bear. They will come towards you. So you might ask me, and this leads us into point number five, what about opposition? Well, the short answer is there will be plenty. There will be plenty of opposition to the work of rebuilding the wall. And in Nehemiah chapters four through to six, We see four basic forms of opposition that was experienced. And that's what we will experience as we rebuild and we answer this call of God. In chapter 4, we see external opposition. So from those who are not of our faith will oppose the work that we are doing. Why? Because they feel threatened by what God is doing. And we see in Scripture that they felt threatened because they perceived the work was done by God. Now picture this. We are doing the work, yet the work is perceived as done by God. Isn't that amazing? So God will use you. I lost my place. The next one is chapter five. There we go. Chapter five is the second opposition we experience, and that is internal opposition. And so what happened is from within them, there was opposition to the work of rebuilding the wall. And uh, also in chapter 5, we see another form of uh, opposition, and that was weariness, that the people grew tired. But interestingly, the, the tiredness was not ascribed specifically to the rebuilding of the wall. It was ascribed to the oppression the people found due to the internal opposition. It speaks about taxes, Not taxes, it speaks about taxes and it speaks about loans with undue interest. Doesn't that sound familiar today? Where interest rates are charged on loans that people just never get themselves out of debt. It was experienced as a form of opposition to the rebuilding of the wall. In chapter 6 we see another form of opposition and that is in the form of personal attack. And Nehemiah himself was under attack, himself in his own person. And so the reason for the opposition can, can be found in chapter 6 and verse 16. If you'll turn with me there. And, and this is now actually after the walls have been built. But the reason for the opposition comes through. In verse 16. And it happened. When all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things. That they were very disheartened in their own eyes. And I mentioned it earlier. This is the reason for the opposition. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. So what's more important to me is not to understand that there will be opposition because it it, it will be there. But how did Nehemiah actually handle this opposition? And we see in chapters 4 verse 4 and in verse 9 that he always turned to God. And his characteristic, we we learned earlier on, was that he was a prayerful man. And we see that in the face of opposition, he immediately turned towards God. But he didn't just pray, he took action. But what's interesting in terms of the action he took, and you'll find it if you're taking notes in chapter 4 from verse 13 to 15, what's fascinating for me is that even in the face of opposition, They were never distracted by the call to rebuild the wall. Never distracted by the opposition to stop the rebuilding of the wall. The work continued. The other thing which we pick up in chapter 5 and verse 7 is when they were experiencing internal oppression, he became angry. As a matter of fact, he just became mad with the situation. And it says in chapter 5 and verse 7 that, and I want to read it to you because I think it's uh, fascinating. Verse 6 says, And I became very angry when I heard the outcry and these words. Verse 7 And after serious thought, I rebuked them. So, what can we learn about Nehemiah here is that he never reacted, he responded. After serious thought, he responded. He didn't react, even though he was angry. So regarding opposition, I want to just say that there is a renewed boldness coming to God's people in the face of opposition and attack. There's a renewed voice that's coming through in the face of opposition and attack. And God will fight for his people, we have no need to fear. And the joy of the Lord shall be our strength. Amen? So the rest of the book of Nehemiah is incredibly important. But we're now at the point where the walls are rebuilt. And this is the message that I believe God has laid on my heart for this time, for us as a body. So I want to conclude with this. The walls were built miraculously in 52 days. Okay? 52 days. It was an absolute miracle. And the work the Lord wants to do in removing his reproach we have as the body of Christ in the world today, he will do it quickly. Because his people have, and we read it in Nehemiah, his people have a mind to work. His people, us, you, sir, ma'am, we have a mind to answer the call of Christ today. The call of God today to rebuild the walls. And it will happen quickly because God is behind it. It's not something we're trying to do out of our own strength. So church, God is doing this work in our lives. He is doing a work of restoration. He's restoring the body of Christ to her rightful place in this world. He's restoring you, sir, ma'am, to your rightful place in him. And he will use you and me to do this work. As we stay close to him, his joy will be our strength. We need to complete the task. We need to have no fear. And because this work is of him, our enemies will be disheartened. And our enemies will be scattered. God's glory will be made known to all who see this amazing work completed. So church, let's answer the call and rebuild the walls. For this cause we live, for this cause we die, the cause of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the vision and the purpose you give your people. God, I thank you that you work with such amazing detail. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us a clear call to rebuild the walls, that you are reestablishing the body of Christ and her voice in this lost and evil world. For your glory, Lord. These walls are being rebuilt. No longer, Lord, shall we be silent, but we will be motivated and inspired by the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside our hearts. And we will speak with an anointing. No matter where we find ourselves at, Lord, in our place of work, in our homes, right there where we are planted, Lord, we will bear fruit and we will follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you will accomplish this work quickly. Why? Because it's your work. I thank you for the new voice of authority the body of Christ will have in this lost and dying world going forward. We bless your name, Lord. We rejoice in your goodness towards us as your people, and we thank you. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May the light of his smile shine upon you, and may you experience his peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Bless you, church.